Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your presence, God. And we ask for your continued move of your spirit upon us, Lord, as you speak to us, as you draw us closer to you. And so, God, give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying this morning. God, give us a mind to understand your word, the passage before us. And we ask that you give us a heart to receive, to apply, to live out what, God, we are learning this morning. And God, we want to learn. We want to grow as we seek you this morning. So anoint your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 I read about uh, this man, uh, Henry H., or Henry N. Russell. He was a pioneer in the study of astronomy, and he had just finished a lecture at Princeton University when a woman came up and asked him, if our world is so tiny and the universe is so big, can we really believe God pays any attention to us? Well, that depends, replied the professor. That depends entirely on how big a God you believe in. Now, I, I like that answer. I, I think it's a great answer. It, it really makes you think. You see, if, if God is big and powerful enough to create the whole universe, if, if God made this planet Earth in the middle of this universe and down to every little detail now, yeah, and think about this, God made this planet we live on livable as human beings, that we can breathe and grow and eat and all, all of that then when God made the whole universe, he must have had you and I in mind in all of this that he created, right? So I believe God is a big God. But let me add this. I believe God has a big heart for all of us also. I think about what it says in Jeremiah 31.3. It says, the Lord uh, declares this. He says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I like that. When we speak of God's love, you know what? It speaks of relationship. It speaks of a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And thinking about how in this whole huge universe and we're on this planet and God is, is even here right now and God is, is so mindful of you and I because of his big heart. You know what that means? That we have a spe special place in God's heart. Well, today, as we continue our study here in the book of 1 Peter, we find how in Jesus, you and I, you have your special place with God. And that's the title of our message this morning, Your Special Place with God. Now we're going to continue on here from verse 6 in 1 Peter chapter 2 and go all the way to verse 10. So this morning we're studying 1 Peter chapter 2 from 6 through verse 10. We did 4 and 5 last week, so we're continuing on here. Now in this thought, in this theme, in this, in our mind that, that, that your special place with God, you have this special place with God, we're going to see three things. And this is our outline for our passage this morning. Number one, the loving relationship. Number two, the living relationship. 
And number three, the liberating relationship. So I'll give that to you as you, we go. But let's look at number one, the loving relationship. The loving relationship. Your special place with God, you know what we have? We have the loving relationship with him. Now here, if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering verses 6 through 8 in this section. Verses 6 through 8. And let's go ahead and take a look at those three verses right now. Starting in verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. All right, we'll stop right there. We begin with here in verse 6 now. Peter, the apostle who wrote this epistle or this letter, he writes these words in verse 6, For it stands. Now, with these words, he's in introducing this thought. In other words, he's saying the truth now that Jesus is our Savior, that he is the Messiah. It, it's what we've learned last week. He's saying that Jesus, the truth of our salvation, is actually found. It stands, that truth, in these Old Testament scriptures. Now, Peter's going to go on to quote Isaiah and Psalm, Isaiah 28, 16, and, and uh, Psalm 118, 22. And we'll get into that in a moment. But, but just think about how Peter now is bringing in some Old Testament scripture to get us, and as he writes to those Jews in that time, to remember, look, what we find about Jesus is in the Old Testament too. Last week, you remember in verse 4 and 5, Jesus gave us this analogy, right? This picture of a building. The title of our message was the house of the Lord. And we saw how the church today is really built spiritually, right, upon the cornerstone. Who's that? Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. He's that foundation stone that you set in the, 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 the when you're doing construction in the corner to set the lines and the plumb line for everything, whether you go up to the right and left. So the whole building becomes square when it's built. He's that foundation stone. And Christ, what he's done on the cross, in the gospel, rising again, saving us from our sins, that truth has is what our church, the church, is built upon. He's that cornerstone, the foundation stone to the whole building. And with that analogy we saw last week, that believers are living stones also. As we come to Christ, we become stones and part of this building built upon the truth of Jesus. So Jesus is this truth. He's the Savior that God had planned and designed all along to bring salvation to our lives. So, Peter goes on here in verse 6, for it stands, the truth of Jesus. And here he, he loosely quotes like Isaiah 28, 16. And he says here that the Lord now, verse 6, um, says, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Now, Zion is another word for Jerusalem. And here I've, I, I believe that Peter would be, be talking about like the new Jerusalem. Like, like, like even if we take in this this idea of a building, a temple in there, just, just this 
new covenant now. This new uh, uh, work that Jesus has done on the cross, the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says here, look, the Lord is laying in Zion, this new Jerusalem, this new covenant, covenant, a stone, a cornerstone. And of course, we talked about that last week, is Jesus. Now, Jesus, he says here, according to Isaiah, is chosen and precious. And didn't we see that last week, too? So you can see what he said in verse 4 leaked out of him because he was thinking of these verses here. And if you remember, chosen is talking about Jesus Christ who was chosen to atone for our sins. And Jesus is precious here. We read in verse 6 and also in verse 4, Jesus is precious. In other words, uh, God has honored him. He's valuable. He's costly. Uh, Jesus, because of what he's done, is very precious. That's what God is saying. The Lord is saying here. And so God honors him in that way. And we saw that last week also. So Peter says, in quoting Isaiah, that God had already talked about Jesus being the, the, the cornerstone. He laid in Zion, in the new covenant, a cornerstone that was chosen to atone for our sins. It's precious because of that. And then he says in verse 6, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, when we talk about believing in him, it's like John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have what? Eternal life. Now, that word believes there means embracing everything about Christ, that he is God, the Son, come to this earth to, to live as a human being, to then die on the cross for our sins and then rise again from the dead. He atoned for our sins. So we believe in the work of Christ. So whoever believes in Jesus, in this truth, in this cornerstone, notice what he says next, will not be put to shame will not be put to shame, will not be ashamed. Now, what, what is he saying here? The word there, put to shame, means disappointed. You will not be disappointed. Well, disappointed in, in what way? Disappointed in God's work of salvation in your life. You won't be disappointed in God's forgiveness, in God's work in making you into a new creation, giving you eternal life. His work of salvation will not fail. This is the idea. Your position as a child of God will never change. Your relationship to the Father now through Christ will never change. And I want to introduce this thought to you that that we're getting into this relationship idea. Later we're going to talk about how, how we're people of God. That, that, that God is our God and we have this kind of relationship. So I want to wrap that into this thought here that you see. Remember the idea of this, this whole passage, the context, right? From verse 4 through 10 I mentioned last week. That you and I as believers, we have a special place in the kingdom of God. We hold a special position, right? We have special privileges, it means that we have a special place in God's heart. And so 
When, when Peter writes that you will not be put to shame, when we believe in Christ, you know, it means that your status with God will never change. Your place in your relationship with him will never change. It's solid here. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Once you come to Jesus, your relationship with God is solid, set, and secure. I want you to know that this morning. Once you come to Jesus, your relationship with God is solid and set and secure. You, you won't have to be ashamed oh, of, of coming to God or, or think, oh, God might, might change the way he looks at you. You don't have to worry about that. The other week at Men's Fellowship, um, uh, we were talking about, someone had shared how uh, fathers can be made to be known as um, Mad dad, I think that was the phrase, you know. That's, we can get moody or frustrated or, you know, maybe we're doing something and all of a sudden, ah, you know, and, and uh, one of the guys was sharing, yeah, when they were fixing something, you know, all the kids know, stay away, it's mad dad, you know, kind of thing, right? I won't tell you who it is so he won't be embarrassed. But anyway, I understand. I understand, yeah. Oh, watch out, dad's in that mode, you know. Oh. Watch out, mom, you know, that kind of thing. You guys understand. But this is not God. God is not like that. He's not moody. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't like, oh, he doesn't get like, oh, I'm over you and, and get all upset at you. He, it, it, God doesn't change his love for you. Once you come to Christ, your relationship with God is solid Set, secure. Know that this morning. Turn over to the left to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I I just want to go through this quickly. And I want to set this in your heart too. That you would understand God and his heart toward you. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at beginning with verse 31. We might skip around here, but. Verse 31 to the end. Excuse me. Verse 31, Romans 8. The Apostle Paul writes here, What then shall we say to these things? And we know this, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is our God. God's the one who saved us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? God has given us his son everything. What's what's he going to hold back on us? He's not. And then look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's like what Satan does. Oh, look at that person. Look him. It is God who justifies. He's the one who's put you in this justification position. That he's saved you, forgiven you, and you are his child now. Doesn't mean we don't sin. But it doesn't change our position in the family. Verse 34, who, who, who is to condemn? Who's gonna, is God going to do that? Is Jesus? No, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised and who sit, is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for us. Uh, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, problems in, a, in the world, distress that comes upon us, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. Skip over to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Do you understand? Once you come to Jesus, your relationship is solid. It's set. It's secure. You will never be put to shame. Let's go back to 1 Peter now. Back to 1 Peter. So, understanding this, look at verse 7. Peter writes this, So, the honor is for you who believe. Now, let's take a look at this for, for a, a moment here. It, at first read, you might think, oh, um, so we get honor. But that's not what it's saying. In the original language, it's really saying that, in other words, the honor... Where does that connect to? The word honor connects to what we just saw, right? That uh, Jesus is precious, right? God honors Jesus. It connects to verse 4 where Jesus is precious. So the idea is this. As God honors, the Father honors the Son, the honor God gave Jesus is for you to give him to. That's what he's saying here. Just as God considers Jesus as precious because of all that he's done, precious in this relationship, so must you and I. Isn't Jesus precious, though? Jesus should be precious to you. Jesus should be in that way. You should look at Jesus in that way that, that, that you, you honor him as precious, as important, as special. And so... That's what Peter's saying. So the honors for you who believe. You who believe should hold Jesus is precious also. But in contrast, he goes on in verse 7. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So those who do not believe, Jesus isn't precious. And how do they show that? Well, they rejected Jesus, right? They, uh, uh, they did not receive Jesus as the way of salvation. Now, here he goes on in quoting the Old Testament once again. And he's saying, just like the Old Testament say, the stone, that's Jesus, the cornerstone, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, verse 8. So he's saying that Jesus was rejected uh, that they said, well, he's not the way of salvation. And then Jesus becomes a stone of stumbling. In other words, you're, you get tripped up spiritually because you don't go to him for salvation. And he becomes a rock of offense. In the original language, literally a crushing rock. In other words, the stone, Jesus, that they rejected will in return become the one who will judge them for rejecting the Son of God. Now, Really, this comes into mind as the Jewish religious leaders during Jesus' time. In our studies in the book of Luke, we saw how the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all rejected Jesus as being the Messiah, the Savior, the one who could save us. It didn't fit into their, their self-focused 
prideful blueprint, you could say, of what they think God should do. That's what really happened. So they rejected Jesus. But in that rejection, they stumbled over Jesus in the way of salvation. And Jesus, being given to be uh, the one who administers justice in the end, will crush them in that way in judgment. And Peter also mentions here that because they stumbled, because in verse 8, they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. So when you reject Christ, when you don't believe in Christ to be the Savior in a way God sent him, that this is God who sent uh, salvation through Jesus, when you reject Christ, you really, you know what, disobey the word. You disobey the gospel. You disobey what God is saying. You're not listening to what God says to do in order to be saved, and that's believe in Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. We know that there is only one way, right, to the Father, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? John 14, 6. And so Peter's saying, look, if, if, if you reject Jesus, there's, there's no other way. I mean, you're rejecting what God has put forth in order for us to be saved. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, as they were destined to do. Now, let me interpret this a little better. It wasn't that they were destined to reject Christ. Now, in original language, it's more like when you reject Christ, when you disobey the word, then that brings consequences for unbelievers. And now they're destined for judgment. The NLT translates it this way. They meet the fate that was planned. In other words, for those who reject Christ in the way of salvation, judgment will come. But here's here's what I want to bring into your thoughts here. As Peter began saying, look, verse 7, so the honors for you to believe that that you are to, to have Christ precious to you. You are to consider, honor him in that way, make him precious to you. Well, those people who don't believe, they miss out on, you know what? The preciousness of Jesus. They miss out on this cornerstone. They reject it, but the rejected one became the most precious person. Yeah, Jesus Christ. So here's the second thing I want you to see. To you who believe, Jesus is more precious than anything else in life. For unbelievers, nah, he's not. But Peter's wrapping all of this in, and I'm focusing on verse 7, the first part. To you who believe Jesus is more precious than anything else in life. You know what I think about? I think about in Luke chapter 10, when, do you remember when Martha came to Jesus complaining about her sister Mary? Uh, he was complaining to Jesus that Mary was not helping her. And Mary was what? Sitting at Jesus' feet, doing what? Listening, right? Jesus told Martha, you know what? You're worried and all upset over all this preparations in the work. But there is one thing that should be your main concern. And you know what? Mary's found that. That's being with her precious Jesus. Why is it, right? You and I, what is needed most is done the least. 
we should be sitting at Jesus' feet. If we consider Jesus precious to us, shouldn't we doing that more and more and more? Shouldn't we make an effort to come to church and sit at his feet and worship and in the word? Shouldn't we make an effort to, to pray, to just sit before the Lord, talk with him? Shouldn't we make an effort to be in the word, to hear from God? That's what it's about. So you see how Peter's like unfolding here this this whole idea of our relationship with God, how precious that is, our special place that we have this relationship with God, that, that all we should really want to do is be with Jesus. That, that should be the greatest desire in our life. So all in all, this is what I want you to see in this section. The loving relationship with God is found with believers of Jesus Christ. Right? Um, people don't believe uh, they rejected him. They uh, no, didn't think anything of him. But those who believe, we honor him as precious. We've embraced him. We've come to a place where, where, where we, we won't be put to shame. We've come to this place where it's, it's set solid, our relationship with him. So the loving relationship with God is found where? With believers of Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to find this. Those who have embraced Jesus. Just this past week, uh, the American Idol runner-up, Willie Spence, died in a car accident in Tennessee. Uh, you might have read that in the news. I thought this was great. Just, I mean, interesting. Um, not great that he died, but interesting that just hours before the crash, uh, Willie posted a video of himself on Instagram singing a worship song you are my hiding place. They say on American Idol on that show that uh, Willie Spence uh, often led, this is how it's written, often led audiences, quote unquote, to church. I love that. And the article said he left judges in tears, deeply moved. A national TV. Why is that? You know why, I think? Because of his love for Jesus. Because of his loving relationship with the God of this universe. With his deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And just him, just him singing. Yeah. It leaked out. It It just came out that he has this loving relationship with God. And everyone could see, right? He's a Christian. He has Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter's saying. This is what identifies a Christian. The loving relationship with God. We, we hold Jesus as precious. And we live in that way. We seek him out. We want to be with him. We, we, and it just comes out in that way. Isn't that what Jesus said, though, in, in John eight forty two? He said, if God were your father, in other words, if you're truly a child of God, you would love me. That's what Jesus said. And so, do you have that loving relationship? Do you have that? If not, get there. Yeah? Embrace Jesus. 
If you're not saved, receive Jesus. Be saved. Be forgiven of your sins. Yeah? Become a new creation in Him. Have the Holy Spirit come into you. And you know what? Start loving Him because God loves you so much. And if you haven't been cultivating that loving relationship, He's waiting, you know. He's waiting and yearning for that. I don't know about you, but more and more, I yearn for more of Jesus like that. I, I yearn for that closeness of God more and more and more. All right, your special place with God, we have, you know what, the loving relationship. Let's go to number two, the living relationship. The living relationship. It goes on here in verse 9. In this section, we're just going to take the first part of verse 9. So if you're taking notes, you could put like 9a. That's what I do. But take a look at verse 9. Peter goes on to say, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we'll stop there. That's all we're going to take for this section, the living relationship. Now, Peter says, in contrast, right, to those who don't believe, who's rejected Jesus Christ, he's saying, but you, you, you know he's talking to believers. He's saying, you guys, you're in a whole different category. Now, as we get into this, understand that what, as Peter did with, in the last verses, he's, he's reaching back into the Old Testament kind of thinking and, and, and view and perspective. And he's, he's looking at these privileges that Israel had and that God had offered them. And, and that's really, if you understand that, you understand what he's saying here in verse 9. You know, I, I, I was thinking about in our study, and I invite you guys to come back on Wednesday in the book of Acts. And, and even at the end of the Luke, we are learning how Jesus took 40 days and taught the disciples in the scriptures. And what the scriptures did they have? The Old Testament, right? And through the Old Testament, Jesus taught them and showed them how the prophecies all spoke about him coming, his death, his resurrection. And then in the book of Acts, we're going to see Peter, the, the apostles, when they preach, their, you know what their, their scriptures are? The Old Testament. Why? Because that's all they had, right? Um, it, it, was, it was being written, you know, it was going to be written. And so you can imagine Peter now, after all that Jesus had taught him from the scriptures, the Old Testament, that's what's in his mind. So Peter goes on to talk about the privileges of God's people and connecting it or referencing it, I should say, to the Old Testament. So the first thing, what is, what is this special place, privileges we have? The first thing, believers are a chosen race. So verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Think about that. Like for Israel, believers are God's chosen people. Remember Israel was a, the people group that God chose to, to bring the knowledge of him through them, and they were supposed to bring it out into the whole world. They were the chosen people. So in that same way, we are a chosen race. Race means a people group. Now, the word chosen, um, you remember we went through that back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. If you, uh, oh, I'm not going to get into it there. We covered the doctrine of election and free will and all that. And if you missed it, you can go back, listen to that. But just, just go with this today. Basically, God chose you 
out of love to be his people. Just take that. that. That's a special place we have in God's heart. That's a special privilege and position we have with him. And so Peter's like, hey, like Israel, believers, Christians, you guys are a chosen race, a chosen people. God chose you out of love. Then secondly, he says in verse 9, a royal priesthood. Believers are a royal priesthood. In other words, we're ministers of, of, the, of our King and Lord Jesus Christ. We serve him like priests, and we talked about that last time. Remember, we have direct access. We don't have to go through a, a priest, but the Jewish priests represented God, and so we represent God in this world. And notice he says royal. Of course, Jesus is our king, and he's going to be the rule and reign in the millennium. Well, you know what? We're part of that, too. We're part of the royal priesthood. In other words, we're going to rule and reign with him during the millennium like we saw in Revelation 5.10. We're part of his team, so to speak. So, like the priest, Jewish priest did in the Old Testament, Believers hold a special position of service to the Lord. He says a third thing here, that believers are considered a holy nation, verse 9. A holy nation. This is so Old Testament, isn't it? And if you have that in mind, oh, isn't that what God had desired for Israel? Now, the word holy means separate or set apart, And when we talk about, uh, we did talk about in our last chapter about being holy uh, before the Lord, having holy lives, we're talking about a a life that is set apart. We are a holy nation, a group of people. We are a people of God, that kind of nation. And so like the children of Israel, believers are now separated from the world, called to live out the principles of God to be able to be that light for the Lord. That's what Israel was supposed to do. And so now we're that holy nation. Christians are that holy group of people to live out these principles of God, to live out what Christ has done in a separate, set apart from the world. We are to remember, you know the saying, we are to live in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We're living in the the world. Our home is in heaven. But we still live in the world as witnesses, as a holy people for the Lord. And then the last thing we see here, believers are God's own possession. He says here, a people for his own possession. You know what's interesting? The word possession here, it, it means acquire through purchase. Isn't that good? I love that thought. Acquire through purchase. God sent his son who paid the price for our salvation by dying on the cross. He paid for our salvation. And so now we're God's possession. We belong to God now. You as a believer belong to God. Our life is not our own. And with that, we are now God's people. We are people of God. So, like Israel, Peter uh, lists these things to say, you know, you guys, we as believers have a special place. We're people of 
God. Like Israel was, believers are now. Back in um, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. And then he says, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. I love that. That was what he had desired for Israel. And that is what has become for us on this side of the cross as believers in Christ. I hope, I hope you're understanding this, how special of a place we have with the Lord. Isn't that great to, to see this in this verse, uh, on this, um, well, it was on the screen, but, uh, <laughs> oh, hey, it's back. <laughs> no, but, but look, it's a special treasure. You are, as a child of God, a special treasure to him. You're a special treasure. You are a special treasure. You're not just some junk thing in his junk drawer. No, you're a special treasure that he holds dear to his heart. Know that this morning. So like it was with Israel, here, here's the point here. These, uh, these um, things characterize the people who have the living relationship with God. These things that Peter listed characterize the people who have the living relationship with God. We have an active relationship. We're the people of God. We're, 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 we're part of his team now. We're, we are like in this everyday relationship. We interact with him. We live for him. It's not just on Sunday we come church. It's every day. It's after church. It's when we go to bed tonight, when we wake up in the morning, we go to work. We have a living relationship with God as we are people of God 24-7. We have this living relationship. We are this chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. That's what this is talking about, a living relationship. Not once a week, but 24-7. Listen to uh, John MacArthur. He put it this way. He wrote, You will never be a holy person in the fullest sense until you have cultivated a relationship of intimacy with the living God. I love that thought. Because when I look at verse 9, and it tells me that I'm part of this holy nation, that I'm set apart, that what is makes that me different from the world is I have a I, I cultivate a relationship of intimacy with the living Christ. And so I have this living relationship. So in other words, real holy people of God have an active, healthy, ongoing relationship with the Lord. I mean yes, we're set apart, we, we live godly lives, that's important. But you know what the core of that is? is having intimacy with Christ, is having that closeness with Christ. Those are the ones who really know God. Those are the real people of God. All right, so your special place with God, oh, we have this loving relationship. We have a living relationship. And now number three, 
we have the liberating relationship. The liberating relationship. Uh, look at verse 9, and we're going to, here in this section will be the second part of 9 and then verse 10. But take a look at verse 9. It says uh, in the middle there, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so Peter's going on. He's saying, you know what, believers, you proclaim. You make it known. You tell others. But what? What? Well, he says, you proclaim the excellencies. The NLT translates that as the goodness of God. I I like that. The goodness of God. That's what you proclaim. That's what you, you talk about. That's what comes out of you, the goodness of God. And, and, and what is that goodness? Well, how he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's how you brought you out of the darkness, but not just that. But he called you, brought you into his marvelous light. The darkness here speaks of that state of lostness and sin. How we're caught in this moral darkness wickedness, evil. When we're caught in this inability to do the right thing, we're in bondage to our flesh and sin. It's, it's the, the, the darkness is where we're, we're then caught under the consequences of our sins. But Christ brought us into the marvelous light. And what is that? It speaks about being rescued in salvation Being forgiven of our sins. Being freed from the bondage. uh, Being able to live a life for God. And as we've been talking about, to know God personally. Remember, sin separated us from a relationship with God. But now through Christ, we can actually know God. The darkness of sin separated us from truly knowing Him, but not no more. Not anymore. And then verse 10, he says, Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he's saying, once you were not a people. You were in the darkness. You're, you're caught in that darkness. And you did not receive mercy because you were in that darkness. But now you are God's people. You are in the light. And you have received that mercy. Mercy is really defined as God's compassion. The Old Testament word is hesed, which is often translated loving kindness. Mercy is God giving compassion instead of what we deserve. Holding back what we deserve, but giving loving kindness toward us. That's what mercy is. You know what I think about as I'm reading this? I mean, before Christ, we were living in that darkness. And, and we, weren't, we, we, we weren't really after God, per se, like we should be, like we are now. God could have brought judgment for, for our sins sooner. But you know what? He held back. He gave us mercy to give us the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. It's not like God waiting for us to do good. Don't think about that either. Don't think of it that way either. 
I mean, we'll, we can never be good enough to save ourselves. It has to be through Christ. But it was mercy that led us hear the message of Christ. It was mercy that brought us to Jesus Christ. We didn't deserve it. John Blanchard wrote, We are saved not by merit, but by mercy. So understand this. Believers are saved and freed, and this is our last point, into the liberating relationship with God. The liberating relationship with God is so that the people of God can truly love God. And I think this just brings it all together. The liberating relationship took us from darkness into light with God is so that the people of God can truly love God. We are God's people now. And as God's people brought into this family, saved from our darkness, we can now be his people. We can truly love God. There's an old, old hymn by Wade Robinson called, I am his and he is mine. And let me read to you some of the stanzas, the verses here. The first stanza says this, Love with everlasting love, drawn by grace that love to know, spirit sent from Christ above, thou dost witness it is so. All this full and precious peace from his presence all divine, in a love that cannot cease, I am his, and he is mine. The second verse says, Taste the goodness of the Lord. Welcome home to his embrace. All his love, his blood outpoured, seals the pardon of his grace. Can I doubt his love for me when I trace that love's design? By the cross of Calvary, I am his, and he is mine. I love that. I love to hear that. You are God's. You belong to Him. And God is yours. It was there on the cross at Calvary that we really see the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the, the love of God, where He's brought us into this relationship that the people of God can truly love Him. Well, as we close up this morning, is this how you see God? Is this how you see God? Is He a big God with a big heart? Perhaps your relationship with God has been lacking because of the wrong view of God. I mean, ask yourself, who is the God that I believe in? Who, who, what is the character of this God I believe in. Are we afraid to go to him? Are, 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 are we like, we distance ourselves? Is it because of maybe some sin? Or is it because of this view? Maybe you've been the one creating in your own thoughts something that God isn't. I believe this morning in the word of God, the Lord is trying to unfold to us who he is and what he's done and how he wants to bring us close to him. Not, I mean, we don't come to Jesus and, and, and pray and be saved so that, oh, we know for sure we go to heaven. I mean, that's great. And we want to go to heaven. We want to be there. We don't, we don't want to be judged in hell. We want to go to heaven, but we want to go to heaven because Jesus is there. So we, we're not saved and say a prayer because of 
I call fire insurance, right? No, it's because we can be saved from our sins and free, and now we can actually know God. I'll close with this. There was a university student who had a too high view of his own intellect. (laughs) He went up to a pastor on one occasion and said, I have decided that I do not believe in God. Okay, the pastor replied. Well, could you please describe for me this God you do not believe in? So the student proceeded to sketch a rather strange and twisted caricature of an, like an unfair, mean, you know, uh, uh, a wrathful kind of God, and not the God of goodness, love, and mercy. So after the student finished, the pastor looked at him and said, well, you know what, we're in the same boat. I don't believe in that God either. (laughs) I love that. The God I see here is a God of goodness. God I see here is, is, is a God of love who desires in his heart that we will come into this close relationship with him. And that is what we have in Jesus. And this is your special place with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word once again, as I always say, because it's so rich and deep, God, and there's so much there for us to learn and dive into. And and if anything here, God, we dive into your goodness and your love, Lord. God, we are surrounded by it in your word. It it leaks out of your word. It speaks of of the reason, God, for saving us, not just to to save us from our sin and free us from from our bondage, God, of of our flesh and to give us eternal life with you. But, But it's because you want to interact with us in our life. You want to be active in our life. You want us to have a living relationship every day, 24-7 with you. You want us to have that loving relationship with you. And that in our relationship with you, it's liberating, God, that we find life and we find mercy and we find you, God, working in incredible ways, bringing victory in our lives. And so, Lord, we look to you today And as you call us, Lord, to come, as you welcome us to come and have this kind of deep relationship, God, we want to come. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Lord, help us to put on eyes of faith, understanding that your goodness, God, and how it's been there, always be there, Lord, is here right now because you love us. God, we want to have that kind of relationship. And I pray for anyone here who is not saved, that God, you would save them right now, that they would call out to you. Anyone online, that they would just call out to you, that they'd give their life to you, pray a prayer of salvation, and ask for you to come into their life and forgive them. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit right now to take what you've convicted us in, Lord, and and that as we repent, that you would change us and that you would forgive us, that you would uh, make us into and transform us into those people you want us to be. And I know what you want us to be. You want us to be lovers of God. So Lord, help us right now. And as we worship you, minister to our hearts and bring us closer. In Jesus' name, amen.